Good morning, Tuolumne Community Baptist Church. So glad that you tune in. I know there's several in our church that are suffering with uh, COVID conditions and uh, you're home uh, waiting patiently uh, for your quarantine to be over and we're waiting patiently to see you again. We cannot wait. God bless you, those who are, who are homesick. But praise God, we're still moving on. We're going to try to finish up 2 Corinthians today. We're in chapters 12 and 13. If you have your Bible, go get your Bible and follow along with us as we try to sum up this, this incredible book the Apostle Paul has wrote to us. He's wrote to the church. That's us. And we need to pay attention to all that he has wrote. God bless you. I hope everybody's feeling better out there. Hope to see you back here in church soon. Um, we'll get started with the message here in just a minute.
are the highest. Father, speak through me. Allow my insecurities to just slip away. Use my mind and my voice. In Jesus' name, amen. It's been a really interesting week. You know, with our men's group getting together on Thursday, and guys, it was a blast. We, we had so much fun. But I didn't realize how much difference it makes on a full day's worth of study that is gone. Like, and I get home at night, and I'm tired, and I go, oh, Lord, am I really ready for this? So if I seem a little, a little unprepared or stumble around here a little bit, forgive me. But I'm going to try to finish 2 Corinthians today. We have chapters 12 and 13. Um, I'm prepared to finish it, so I hope that we have time to do it. I think we probably do. Because I'm really looking forward to, see, that's the problem is I'm, I'm studying ahead, too. Besides what we're doing this Sunday, I'm reading and studying for what's coming next. And I'm really excited at what God's put on my heart to come next. And I think you guys are going to be excited too. But should I tell you or should I hold you in suspense? Joe says, hold him in suspense. So since I'm not telling you, you can blame her. But I'm, I'm really excited about the, the next weeks to come of what God has, has placed on my heart to bring to the church. But I want to recap just a little bit, a quick recap on chapter 11. And there's something that I really didn't address last week, at, at least as heavily as I, my heart intended to. So I, I'm going to take the opportunity and just do it now. Paul made a statement on jealousy. He used the term godly jealousy. Is there really such a thing? Godly jealousy? I mean, we know that jealousy is a, an emotion from Satan himself. But there is a godly jealousy that Paul was referring to. I found this story that I'd like to read to you. It's a pastor and author, Timothy Keller, if you've ever heard of him. He tells this moving story about his wife, Kathy, who got his attention to prioritize their family. Timothy had promised her that he would take three years of long hours to establish their new church in New York. Then things would slow down. But the three-year mark came and went. And Kathy asked me, as we agreed, to cut back on my work, my hours. In just a couple of months, I said... I have this and that commitment I have to see through. I kept saying that. Guys, have you ever been there? You know that your family is desiring one thing and, and you want to fulfill that desire and be that father, that husband, that, but we, we, I just have these commitments that I have to fulfill. One day I came home from work, it was a nice day outside and I noticed the door to our apartment's balcony was open. 
Just as I was taking off my jacket, I heard a smashing noise coming from the balcony. In another couple of seconds, I heard another one. I walked out into the balcony, and to my surprise, I saw Kathy sitting on the floor. She had a hammer, and next to her was a stack of our wedding china. On the ground, there were shards of the two smashed saucers. What are you doing, I asked. She looked up and said, you aren't listening to me. You don't realize that if you keep working these hours, you are going to destroy this family. You aren't seeing how serious this is. This is what you are doing. And she brought the hammer down on the third saucer. Kathy's carefully calculated demonstration got Timothy's attention. And it led to an important conversation. He admitted he was addicted to the level of productivity he had achieved. Guys, that happens to us a lot. I had to do something. She saw me listening for the first time. We hugged. Jealousy for the welfare of one fam one's family is a godly jealousy. And I know, guys, this is an ex excessive example, maybe a little bit extreme. Ladies, I'm not telling you to go home and start breaking dishes to get your husband's attention. The point is, there are two types of jealousy. One is destructive and can, can and will destroy a marriage. The other can be a righteous jealousy that is used to restore. And that's what the Apostle Paul was talking about. How do we avoid unrighteous jealousy? Because we know the pain that is attached to it. Try listening to your spouse. Not just listening, hoping they get over it, but listening with a, with a heart of love being truly concerned and wanting to change the situation, which means to change you. And I'm going to say, which means to change me, Joe. Because too often I don't listen. I'm the perfect example. She sometimes cries out to me, trying to explain to me how she's feeling with the anxiety and depression, just wanting me to understand, not to fix it, not to tell her to get over it, but to just listen. So this little story kind of got to me. It's a righteous jealousy, her wanting me to understand. And if I don't understand, if I just don't pay attention to it, it's going to destroy our relationship. Oh, I think we're stuck together for the rest of our lives, but it can be miserable. Amen? It can be when you're not listening to one another and, and you don't understand. If you are suffering with unrighteous jealousy, jealousy that is driven out of controlled emotions, I'm telling you, it's driven by fear. Insinuations and overactive imagination, fear of being lied to again, it really doesn't matter what you think is driving this type of jealousy, it's fear. 
And its motivation is to move you away from God and away from loving relationships, family relationships. It's powerful spiritual warfare, and you can't handle it by yourself. So what do we do? We repent. We admit that we have allowed these destructive emotions into to move us. And then we put on the armor of God. That's what we have to do. It has to start with repentance. I can't just say, I'm sorry, honey, and I'll get over it. I have to listen and pay attention and acknowledge. This is the righteous jealousy Paul was referring to at the beginning of chapter 11. He loved us so much he was willing to use what he called, oh, that you bear with me in a little folly. He, he decided he was going to kind of brag on himself to get them to, to listen. And ironically, he never did brag on himself. He was bragging on his things that were bad, things that he had been through. Just an interesting thing, and I wanted to make sure I cleared that up. If not for you, maybe for me. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. It is doubtless, it's, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. So he's changing a little bit of direction. Remember, this is a continuous letter that he'd been writing. They didn't have it broke into chapters and verses. Professionals did that some years ago. So he's continuing on the same thing. He said, now, it's unprofitable for me to boast, but I'm going to tell you what I know. I've had some visions and some revelations. Verse 2, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago whether in the body, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows such a one was caught up to the third heaven. Okay, this is new. Paul is now talking in the third person. He's referring to himself without saying it was him. Please understand, this is the same conversation that was in last chapter. Remember, he said, it is folly for me to brag or boast on myself except for in my affirmities. Verse 3, he goes on to say, I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Verse 4, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which are not lawful for a man to utter. Oh, I wish he could have, but he can't. Verse 5, of such a one I will boast. Now this one I will boast about. Yet of myself I will not boast except for in my affirmities. Verse 6. For, for though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool. For I will speak the truth. I will refrain. Lest anyone should think me above what he sees me be or hears from me. Wow. Those are powerful words. 
Don't you dare ever put me on a pedestal because I stand up here as your pastor. I'm just a man who tries his best to live a righteous life, but I stumble just like you. There can be no doubt here the Apostle Paul speaks of himself. Whether heavenly things were brought down to him while he was in his body or a trance, in this case of ancient prophets, or whether the soul was dislodged from his body for a time and taken to heaven, or whether he was taken up a body and soul altogether, we don't know. It's interesting that he talked about the third heaven. Do you guys understand what that is? The first heaven is, is her atmosphere. It's where you see the birds fly, where you see planes fly. You see the clouds that drift across. That's the first heaven. The second heaven is where your moon and your stars and the sun, where they exist. The third heaven is what that new telescope just got a peek at. Way out there. We have no comprehension of what the third heaven, the heaven where God resides is. He said, we are not capable, nor is it fit that we should know the particulars of that glorious place and state. He did not attempt to publish to the world that he had heard what he had heard there, but set forth the doctrine of Christ. On that foundation, the church is built and that we must build our faith and hope. Can I get an amen? amen. And while this teaches us to enlarge our expectations of the glory that shall be revealed, it should render us content with the usual methods of learning the truth and will of God. Verse 7. And by the way, that 14 years ago, that this had happened to him is about the time that he was stoned. You guys remember that? In Lystra, I think it was, where he was stoned to death. And they walked away assuming he was dead. And the men of God went and got around him, began to pray for him, picked him up and carried him back into town. He was alive. Could that have been the time where God took him to heaven? Could very well be. We'll ask Paul when we get there. It's an amazing thing. Verse 7. And least I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. What is he saying? A thorn in the flesh was given me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, least I should be exalted above measure. So at the same time, he's saying that he was taken to heaven and Shah saw unexpressible things that he saw in heaven. To confirm all that he's preaching, all that he's teaching, he now has seen it. But you can't tell anybody about the things you saw or heard here. But now you know, at the same time, a thorn in his flesh came to buffet him. Paul's description of this astonishing experience, he was transported in one sense to the third heaven or paradise, where he received an unspeakable revelation of God. But approximately the same time, he received a thorn in the flesh given by a messenger of Satan that he refused to remove it despite his pleas. We'll see that in just a moment. Paul declares once again that he will boast in his weakness and be content in his suffering because when Paul is weak, it is more clearly proves that Christ is more powerful. 
Can I get an amen, Ira? When we are weak, when we are upset, when we're just sad, just sad. When we are weak, God is strong. And that's what we grab onto and that's what we rely on. He will boast in our weakness. So is Paul saying that God allowed this thorn to be placed there? What happened to Job? God allowed that. You can touch him, you just can't kill him. When Paul speaks of a thorn in the flesh, he calls it a messenger of Satan that had a purpose of torment. Many explanations have been, have been put forward. But whether Paul is referring to a physical, spiritual, emotional affliction or something else entirely has never been answered with satisfaction. Since he was not talking of a literal thorn, he must have been speaking metaphorically. Some of the more popular theories of Paul's thorn interpretation has been included temptation, worldly temptation. A chronic eye problem, which I tend to believe that myself is probably what it was. After being stoned, he had, and after that he, he began, there's, you can go back and look through some of his writings. And at one point he, was, he wrote the last part of the book in his own handwriting. He said, I write big. You know, why? Because he couldn't see. But it was never told to us. Some said malaria. Some said migraine headaches, epilepsy. A speech disability, possibly. Some even say the thorn refers to a person, such as Alexander. You remember him, the coppersmith, who told Paul, who, who did to Paul great deal of harm back in, in 2 Timothy. You'll see that, 4.14. No one can say for sure what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, but it was a source of real pain. It could be the same source as your pain. That's why I believe the word of God doesn't give it to us what it is, because it's the same thing that torments you. And God is going to love you through it and make you stronger because of it. Verse 8, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Verse 9, and he said, capital H, Jesus, he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore most, therefore, most gladly, I will boast in my affirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Wow. Those are some impressive words. Verse 10, he says, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. How many are suffering from something? Something. Oh, it could be a back problem. It could be a mental problem. It could be a, a hip problem. It could be anything at all. Does God not want to heal you just because he's ornery? He's looking at our heart. Will you love me even if I don't heal you of this? 
Will it keep you humble? Will it keep you coming to me praying and asking for relief? If that's what it takes to keep me here, then God bring it on. I would rather be close to you than free of pain. He said in verse 11, I became a fool in boasting. You have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended by you. All right, he he reverted a little bit there. A little bit of sarcasm. Did you see it? Therefore, I have become a fool for boasting. Paul, read your own writing here. You didn't boast on yourself. You didn't say, I'm the greatest man in the world. But he said, if you guys had at least commended me and said that I am your apostle, I wouldn't have had to do this. If you would just repent from your sin and just... He goes on to say, for in nothing I was behind the most eminent of your apostles, though I am nothing. You can still hear his pain in this. Verse 12. Truly, the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you in, pres- in perseverance, in signs and wonders, in mighty deeds. Well, there you go, Paul. He just gave us the requirements of an apostle. Can you persevere? Can you do signs and wonders and mighty deeds? That's the requirements of apostleship. Right there. We all need to have perseverance because we're all struggling with something in our lives. All of us. And signs and wonders. Well, guys, we just had some signs and wonders just a minute ago when you mentioned your kids' names. I don't know if you felt it, but I did. I felt it. That's signs and wonders. Mighty deeds. I don't know. Going fishing with you guys was a mighty deed. And I loved it. Verse 13. For what is it in which you were referring to, to other church? We say that again. For what is it in which you were inferior to other churches, except that I was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. Well, now he says... If this is something to do with the Corinthians comparing themselves to the other churches Paul planted, and I believe that they were. The Macedonians were Paul lovers, and he spent a lot of time with them, and they supported him in the ministry. Paul wasn't taking anything from the Corinthian church. Was that a mistake? I don't know. He just now apologizes for it. But I think that was just a little bit of sarcasm. You guys, I, he, he just, that's what you're mad at me about, that, that others were supporting me and, and I didn't ask anything for you. He asked how they were less favored than any of the other churches. In other words, did they think they were treated badly by Paul in some way because he did not ask them for support? He answers with his own question by suggesting one way they were treated differently. He did not burden them financially. That is, Paul refused to take financial support from them to meet his own needs. He adds sarcastically, 
forgive me this wrong. I tried to do I tried to be right by you, but forgive me. Verse 14. Now the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I will not I do not seek yours, but you. Boy, listen to it. I do not seek the money you guys have. I just want your hearts. I want you. I want you to love God. And I want you to love me as an apostle of God. For the children ought not lay up for the parents, but the parents for their children. Did you hear that? <laughs> that is so profound. I can't live my life hoping one of my kids become rich so they can take care of me. I got to prepare for them so that they have an easier life so they can take care of theirs. Where am I at? 15. And I will be very glad and I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls though the more abundantly I love you the less I am loved and that's what he's feeling he's being honest with him you guys are mad at me because I didn't take your money and the more that I pour out the love to you the less I receive from you that could be part of a storm that he's suffering with verse 16 but that is Excuse me, but be that as it may. I did not burden you, and nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. I found out why you guys are so mad at me. I figured it out. Verse 17, did I take advantage of you? By of any of those I sent to you? I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Now, we don't know who the brother is. It might have been Timothy. It might have been Luke. We don't know. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we, did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? And the answer, of course, yes, they did. Verse 19, again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. That's what we do for your edification. I am growing intensively in my study time for this church, but I do it for you, for your edification. I mean, I can't believe the stuff that God opens my mind up and he's pouring it in going, I've read this, I don't know how many times before, I never got it like this. Verse 20, he said, For I fear least when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. Least there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts, harass, selfish ambitions, backbiting, whispers, conceits, and turmoils. What's he saying? If I come back to the church and you guys have repented for your sin, 
and you're serving Jesus Christ along with me by my side, what a wonderful time we're going to have. But if I have to come back and do everything that I've wrote in these letters to you to repent of, we're going to do nothing but fight. There's going to be nothing but contentions. There's going to be nothing but jealousies and outbursts of wrath. You know, you guys think I'm trying to rob from you, and I don't even take your money. I, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying to the church. He says in verse 21, least when I come to again, I will humble, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for the many who have sinned before and have not repented for their uncleanness, their fornication, and their lewdness, which they have practiced. Let's move on to verse thir uh, chapter 13. He goes on to say, This will be the third time I am coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. This is where we get that, that term. We say, by the mouth of two or three witnesses. The Apostle Paul brought that to his forefront. He says in verse 2, I have told you before and foretell as, I, as if I were present the second time. And now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest that if I come, I will not spare. He's not going to come and just overlook the situation going on in the church. He's not going to spare it. He's going to tell them the truth of what they need to do and what they need to change. It's called church discipline, and none of us like it. We don't even like to talk about it. And neither does any other church. But if we don't establish church discipline in our own church, if we just allow things to continue to go on, oh, it's okay. You know, he loves the Lord. He's just, he's just sinning, you know, and we just allow it. And don't go to that person and say, listen, brother, this is like a cancer. If you continue to do this, it's going to spread throughout the community of our church. It's important. And the Apostle Paul is saying, if I come and it's going on still, I will not spare. He says, verse 3, since you seek proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you. If you have accepted Christ, he is going to be mighty in you. Verse 4, for though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. Verse 5, you guys ready for this? Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed, you are, unless indeed you are disqualified. Test yourselves. Am I really saved? God, are you really living inside of me? It's an important question to ask yourself. Test yourself. Capture every thought that doesn't line up with the word of God, that doesn't line up with the Jesus Christ that lives inside of you. If you're not doing that, you've got to ask, are you there? I start seeing something on TV that's not, you know, it, it starts bothering me. It's almost like Jesus is there in the room with me and he's going. <clears throat> Maybe that was my wife. It, it, it should bother us. 
To the point, I'll say, it'll be over with just, honey, close your eyes for a minute. You know, we need to ask ourselves, are we really saved? Because if I'm really saved, these things should bother me. It should bother me. He says in verse 6, but I trust that you will know that you that we are not disqualified. I know we're not disqualified. I know in my heart. And that's what he's saying, but I trust that you will know. Verse 7, now I pray to God that you do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that you should do what is honorable though we may seem disqualified. Even if you think I'm wrong, now I'm speaking as the Apostle Paul now. I didn't take anything from you. I didn't ask for you anything. If you think I'm wrong, you think I was disqualified because of that, then you do what's right. At least do that. Do what's right. Do what's honorable. He said in verse 8, for we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. Verse 9 says, For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. And this also we pray that you may be made complete. Another implication is that the Corinthians continued in their unrepentant sin. It will create an embarrassing situation when Paul appears to those outside to have been filled, to have failed, to have introduced Christ to them. He quickly adds to, to his point that he's extremely worried. He's just extremely worried about coming and finding the condition that they're in. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of the works, lest anyone should boast. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell him here. It's not by all the goody-goody things you guys are trying to do in a church. It's by faith in the one that I brought to you. That's truly what I want to see is your faith of where you stand. Verse 10, he says, Therefore I write these things being absent, least being present, I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. Again, he's talking about church discipline. Verse 11, Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Sorry, Bob, it's going to have to be a holy hug, all right? That's how we do it in our culture. All the saints greet you. Verse 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. And this is where the Apostle Paul finishes his letter. Unfortunately, there's a lot of churches who don't employ formal discipline until offenses are so terrible that relationships are scattered and patterns are ingrained 
and that the chances of restoring someone are very small. Yeah, you might be thinking, well, Pastor, why are you saying that? Are you talking to us? I'm just telling you that if I see you going left when you should be going right, I'm going to come to you in love. In love and say, brother, sister, we need to go right. This is a very dangerous road that you're on. On. We can't just let it go until things are so far out of control. Many churches have an unbiblical high tolerance for obvious sin. Such tolerances breed an ineffective church discipline, like too little too late. For church discipline to be effective, leaders must be willing to address biblical infractions earlier in the process, thereby increasing the odds of getting a believer back on track. Can I get an amen? amen. This is done with love and concern. We're not just going to go with the flow with, with what our culture now is telling us what is right. That birth or life doesn't begin until a child is born, maybe two weeks after the child is born. No. No. We're not going to go there. We understand life is in conception. It's in God's hands. Amen? Amen. And that marriage is between a man and a woman. Does that mean that you're going to just dislike and dishonor, disrespect all people who don't believe the way you do? No, but I'm not going to go on and not tell them the truth. And if they want to get mad at me and take me out, then they take me out. I get to go to heaven. But we're going to speak the truth in this church. Amen. Amen. 